You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge, life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. If this were a normal year, the back-to-school talk would mostly be about where to get the best deal on classroom supplies. But with COVID-19 still circulating in the Bay Area, this is very much not a normal year. And the conversation this summer is whether or not back-to-school is going to happen at all. I think it's a recipe for disaster if they expect teachers and want teachers to come back. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, as counties and school districts begin releasing their plans for the fall term, they're facing pushback from teachers concerned that the classroom just won't be a safe place to learn. We're going to take a closer look at how this debate is shaping up here in the Bay Area, and then in the second half, we'll discuss why emerging science about COVID-19 and children is offering some glimmers of hope. Fortunately, the data shows that children seem to not get as sick. But first up on the program, well, it was a tumultuous week for educators here in the Bay Area racing to put together a fall plan. To bring us the latest, we're going to welcome on now John Fensterwald. He's a writer for EdSource. That's an online education news outlet based in Oakland. John Fensterwald, welcome back to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks. Pleasure to be back. So just to give a sense of how heated this debate has become, uh, teachers with Oakland Unified School District this past week organized a car caravan, basically pushing back against the possibility the district might reopen too soon in their view. KCBS spoke with organizer Mark Ergood, who also works as a special education teacher in the district. Here is his message. We think they should not reopen schools. Uh, It's not safe for the students, it's not safe for the families and community, for the teachers. The pandemic is going through the roof in California and around the country. And every time they've tried to reopen the economy or anything too soon, we've just seen spikes. So, no, we should not reopen. So, John Fensterwald, again with EdSource, a lot of difficult decisions being made right now. Of course, all of this against the backdrop of President Trump's own comments on reopening. He is, uh, to put it mildly, pushing very strongly for schools to reopen. How is this debate unfolding here in the Bay Area? I think that pushing back even stronger than the president is the resurgence of the virus and also the heavy emphasis by by the California Teachers Association, as reflected by your Oakland teacher, that uh, that they're worried about their teachers' safety and the resurgence of the virus confirms for them and others the hazards of opening school very soon, within the next you know month, say, that many schools had planned to open. It's a somewhat disorienting time, though, because on the one hand, we do see this resurgence and we do see all these concerns coming from teachers afraid to go back in the classrooms. On uh, the other hand, though, we have a number of counties that have come out with their guidelines for how they want to see schools reopen. For example, uh, Santa Clara County, uh, I guess it was about two weeks ago now, uh, they came out with guidelines that they're hoping will make school reopening safe. So what are we hearing from the counties in terms of like uh, what they'd like to see? 
I think it really varies from county to county. In your example, Santa Clara County is a good one. Santa Clara, of course, was the first one to require shelter in place back in March and seen as for its really uh, emphasis on safety and strict adherence to guidelines. But in fact, Santa Clara County in several respects is is not an outlier, but it, it's different positions. For example, it doesn't it recommends but doesn't require masks for elementary schools. It doesn't encourage uh, temperature testing. And it doesn't impose um, a six-foot social distancing length, again, for elementary schools. And that's uh, different from what some other counties are doing in terms of strict, uh, they're adopting stricter um, regulations and guidelines. So there is something of a range in terms of what different counties are considering, how strict they are going to be. But, you know, sort of besides the point of what the actual guidelines are, at the same time, we have some districts saying, you know, whatever your guidelines are, we're probably not going to be ready uh, to fulfill them by the time the first day of class comes. Uh, San Francisco Unified School District would be an example of one that says that it's unlikely they'll be ready to do in-person schooling on day one. Uh, what are the what, what are you hearing in terms of the challenges of meeting these guidelines? It's just a matter of getting the protocols and the equipment in place? I think it's a lot of challenges. San Francisco particular uh, distinct to San Francisco, it cited, for example, the problems with busing, getting kids to school, and the need to hire a different, more custodians at a time when they have running a budget deficit, and and the problems of, again, hiring additional staff and ventilation. And, and not all districts are citing this. Not all of them have perhaps uh, San Francisco's financial issues, but all of them are, are citing safety costs. Now, keep in mind the legislature when it went to pass the budget and the governor and the legislature agreed to put a billion dollars more from federal CARES aid to K-12 so that they could take care of cleaning and issues related to the opening of school. The legislature and governor took the position that school kids should go back to school and that district should have enough money to open. But that is, you know, and they should have enough money actually to, to buy computers and, and internet access for for kids who need to stay at home or in, ca- in in case districts do need to go distance learning. But the governor said, look, we've given you enough money now. You should be able to open financially. And some districts are pushing back on that to say no. But uh, it's it really has changed. The dynamic has changed from the time that the legislature passed. That wasn't long ago, two weeks ago, to now. I think the focus will be more and more districts will be going distance learning as San Francisco will, as two districts in San Jose, Eastside Union High School District, the largest high school district in Northern California, and a K-8 district, Alum Rock Union, which uh, kind of surprised me, frankly. I didn't think that a K-8 would automatically say do distance learning for everyone, but I think that's sort of a a sign of, of what's to come. All right. Uh, speaking once again to education reporter John Fensterwald with EdSource. And so it sounds like you're suggesting there that the momentum at this moment is for many school districts going in the direction of distance learning. Does that just reflect the widespread concern on the part of teachers for the safety in the classroom? I think certainly the California Teachers Association is is really emphasizing that it's it's really concerned about the safety of its teachers. But uh, it also reflects, you know, the larger percentage, larger 
audience, the larger number of parents and community who are equally concerned as they see the numbers of positive cases of coronavirus rising. So it's sort of in concert with that. But, you know, there were districts that really did want to open up with most kids going to school. San Jose Unified's original plan, we'll see if it, it keeps that, is for Every kid who wanted to come to school, we'll, we'll manage and we'll find a, a seat for you and we'll, we'll make it work out. One of the reasons they could do that, as I said before, was that Santa Clara County didn't have a, a limit of X number of kids per classroom. Um, but uh, I think that more and, and other districts in um, Marin County wanted to have all the kids back most of the districts in person doing it on the start of school. I think it's going to be harder and harder to maintain if this trend of coronavirus increases. Maybe districts may postpone the start of school for a while and wait and see what happens or say, look, for now, it's going to be really difficult to negotiate with teachers uh, and come up with these memorandums of understanding and time. So perhaps we'll just start with distance learning, contrary to the president, and then we'll see what happens if... uh, if cases permit, if the if the coronavirus declines, then let's talk about reopening school then. All right. Well, uh, we just have a couple of second la- seconds left, but I guess uh, let's bottom line this. We have pressure coming in at the federal level. We have pressure coming in at the state level. We have pressure coming in at the, the city level. There's a lot of different people with a lot of different opinions on how this all might go. What is your gut feeling about what most parents should expect on back to school day? Well, you know, the polling of parents was had been pretty split. About 40% said that they'd prefer keeping their kids at home. 40% say, well, let's try a hybrid. And 20% said, I want my kid to go every day. And I bet if you do those surveys now, as opposed to two weeks ago, even a larger percentage would say, I don't really feel comfortable sending my child to Uh, school right now. And certainly the teachers are going to be stronger in emphasizing they don't think it's time to open. I think we're probably headed in that direction, at least for a while. All right. Well, things are changing quickly. We thank you for giving us that snapshot of where we are right now. We have been speaking once again to John Fensterwald. He is a writer for EdSource, which is an online education news outlet based in Oakland. John, uh, thanks for being back on KCBS In Depth. Thanks for asking. Check back in two weeks. Maybe I'll have something very different to say. listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today, just what will back-to-school day look like when it takes place next month? As we just heard, pushback to in-person schooling is mounting. But just ask any tired parent, there are also plenty of very good reasons to hope a safe reopening can take place. One group that's come out strongly in favor of at least trying to reopen would be the American Academy of Pediatrics. We're going to talk about the reopening guidance it just released in recent weeks, as well as why its members believe the science is suggesting schools may not be quite the dangerous vectors of spread we once thought they were. Bringing on board that perspective, we're going to welcome on now our next guest for today. That would be Dr. Yasko Fukuda, who is the chair of the American Academy of Pediatrics in California. She was involved in approving the reopening guidelines we just mentioned a moment ago. And she's also a primary care pediatrician herself, currently practicing in San Francisco. Dr. Fukuda, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you very much for having me on the show to talk about um, this complicated subject that's affecting families and children in the community. 
Absolutely. Yeah, there's a, a lot to sort through right there. So let's start with the reopening guidelines released by the Academy. It's uh, been about two weeks now. Uh, and first, uh, taking a look at the headline recommendation there. That headline recommendation reads, quote, all policy considerations for the coming school year should start with a goal of having students physically present in school. Uh, Reading a bit further, it seems like what the organization is saying is that balancing the risks and the benefits of reopening schools, it looks like the benefits are taking the day right there. So tell us a little bit about the thinking that went into that guidance. Um, Yes, and I, I think I would like to even back up and say, um, the American Academy of Pediatrics mission really is to optimize um, children's health, uh, mental and physical, but we also take care of families and communities, right? So this is um, to open, reopen schools safely, um, paying attention to what is going on in the, in the community. Um, and the thought is there are many things that children are not getting um, with school, um, and we see it. I talk with families every day as I see families coming in and out from those with younger children to those that are in high school and off to college. Um, the benefits of school and the risks of being in school all need to be evaluated as you look at this, and we're an evidence-based organization. We look at the data, look at the evidence, and then weigh in is this better to do versus the risks of something else, right? And and in this um, situation, of course, it is the risk of COVID-19 and what it does to the um, population. Um, uh, fortunately, the data shows that children seem to not get as sick, that their transmission may be a little bit lower, but it's not zero. So that means that you have to think about how you can do this safely. Right. So there's a couple of different scientific questions here. One would be how much risk do children face if they do get sick? How sick are children getting when they are infected? Uh, Another would be how likely are children to get infected? And then the other one is how likely are children to spread this disease to their classmates or to their parents or to others? And it seems like on all those fronts, we have at least somewhat reassuring information coming out. So let's start with the first. It looks in general like kids are not getting as gravely ill from COVID-19 as older folks. Which is correct. Um, We don't know why. I wish I had the science on why and certainly understanding why um, they have some innate protection um, would be helpful. But we don't know that science yet, so I can't speak to that. Um, but you start out first with saying, okay, what's happening in various areas? There are multiple studies around the world, from Wuhan to Guangzhou, um, Japan to New York, Israel, um, Australia, Singapore, that really find that, one, children don't get as sick. Um, two, there is less likely spread um, for some reason uh, from you know, children to children or children to adults. That being said, it's not zero. So um, being proactive about prevention, I think, is very important. You know, just reading the the comments from uh, parents that are reacting to some of these health orders and school reopenings, there is uh, a lot of 
I would say, incredulity, if I can use that term on the radio, uh, that kids really aren't spreaders for COVID-19 or that kids really uh, can't be the ones to spread this disease because we're so accustomed to thinking of kids as uh, little germ buckets, to, you know, use a somewhat uh, unfriendly term. Uh, everybody knows that when your kid goes to daycare, they're going to come home with the flu. Everybody knows that when your kid goes to school for the first time, you're going to be spending that semester, a lot of it, sick. So uh, help help uh, parents understand what, what why can we say with uh, some level of confidence, uh, perhaps not complete confidence, but with some level of confidence that kids are not the greatest spreader of this disease? Um, so there have been actually very many, many studies I think um, very significant. There was a large study in Australia um, and there were multiple schools and hundreds of children involved in going back to school and they looked at who got sick actually. Um, And out of all that, there were nine students and nine staff. So apparently there are ways that first of all, we can mitigate the spread and to the fact that children do seem to spread it less to each other and to adults so that if you take proper cautions that you can contain that. Um, and and that's, that was a huge study that came out of Australia. A lot of these are more focused on looking at the numbers and what do they see and what's the percent of people that get sick. I think the science and the studies will continue. Um, and um, so that we can better understand, <clears throat> one, what is the best way to prevent spread? Two, why is that, right? What are the best things that you get the most prevention? Mm. Well, uh, switching gears just a little bit, another issue that the guidance from your organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, raises is the real costs that are associated with continuing to keep schools closed. Wondering if you could walk us through some of those issues that you see as very pressing and really just causing a, a lot of uh, harm uh, as as these school lockdowns continue? Um, first of all, in terms of with the benefits of school, we know that education is first and foremost. I mean, that's why you have school. Um, uh, for some children, some of the online learning is helping, but for many children, they actually do need that physical presence in their education. Um, and so there are many children that are not getting that, especially those um, that need extra help or have special needs. Um, uh, the social aspect of school is very important um, from learning to play together to having your peer groups um, and for the mental health of children as well as they go from you know grade school into high school. Um, there is um, food insecurity um, in many of our populations, and there's a lot of nutrition programs that are happening at school. And some communities have done things that have been very innovative to try to make sure that their free lunch and maybe even breakfast program is able to continue. But there are many children who are not getting that benefit. Um, the other issue with parents um, and families being involved is, of course, this limits parents and their impact on being able to work or not. Some can work at home, some cannot. Some are uh, trying their best to work at home and it's been very, very difficult. Um, And then the mental health of many of the children and I'm seeing the mental health of children are being affected and and depression and um, um, social kind of um, 
pulling back um, is really affecting many children's mental health, their sleep patterns, their diet, their nutrition. Um, and that's a, that's a subject that um, comes up every day. Mm, yeah, definitely all important things to keep in mind. Real quick, before we move on, I want to remind our listeners that they are listening to KCBS In-Depth. Today, as schools scramble to cobble together their plans for the fall term, we're taking a closer look at what the science has to say about school reopening. Joining us is Dr. Yasko Fukuda, who is the chair of the American Academy of Pediatrics in California, a group that has come out in favor of reopening. So if you could, uh, part of the recommendations that are coming out is, uh, well, there's a recognition that there is a little bit of a difference between the younger kids, the kids that are maybe up into uh, sixth grade and younger, and the kids that are older than that. Uh, The younger you go, it seems like the less likely they are to uh, transmit this disease. But then when they get a little bit older, they start looking a little bit more like uh, adults in terms of their capacity to transmit this, what does that, what sort of implications does that have for how schools should be managing these different age groups? Right. So um, there are, of course, age-appropriate things. Um, younger children are not going to wear a mask. Um, it has been shown that if you have a covering um, over, your ma- over, over your face, that it, that is to prevent the transmission through the air, um, hopefully you don't sit there and and move the mask around because the other issue mm-hmm. is it's more risky if you touch your face, right? So younger children, that's right. So a younger child who's four or five or six is not going to wear their mask. It, and it's hard enough for adults it. to get that right. Um, and so you have to weigh again the um, is that really going to help you to wear a mask that you're you know taking off and putting on and touching yourself all the time. Um, so, um, uh, that is what you have to weigh. Um, I think, um, uh, but not only the, within the school and within the children, the issue is that there are adults that work in the schools. Um, many of the adults that, um, are the teachers or those that are the custodians or, um, you know, the, the different therapists that come in and, in and out and help children, um, can also be older or they can be a younger adult, but they are also taking care of their extended family. Um, and the um, fear is, of course, the transmission to them at all, right, to each other even as they work together. Um, and so um, things to keep them safe. Um, the schools need the resources to really help keep them safe. They need to have the masks themselves um, everyone has to have a lot of soap and hygiene and teaching the children to wash your hands, um, wash your hands, wash your hands. I'm, I'm saying it every day. Um, the cleaning, and there's many guidelines in terms of how to clean different areas at school, especially areas of high contact, because we know that, you know, doorknobs that, you know, keeping the doors open, for example, having hallways that um, are one way going you know, a certain direction so that people don't bump into each other. Um, All these things can help in terms of the distancing and decreasing contact. Um, So the schools really need to also be supported 
so that they are able to do this. Hmm. Speaking with Yasko Fukuda, the chair of the American Academy of Pediatrics in California, and you, you, you mentioned the adults that are working in schools, and many of those adults, uh, teachers included, they seem really worried about the trajectory that we are on right now. Of course, we're hearing from the highest levels in government, from the president himself. Uh, he clearly really wants schools to reopen. He's even threatened to cut funding for schools if uh, schools do not reopen, though it's not really clear that he has the authority to do that. And uh, caught, caught in the middle of all this, of course, are the teachers. And they've come out in uh, in Oakland and in L.A. this past week saying we really don't like the direction that this go- is going in. We are worried about our own safety uh, heading back into those classrooms. Uh, and it sounds like you're saying that their concerns are warranted. I think it's very important that we work together, look at what is the really evidence of what we can do to keep everyone safe and the collaboration. Um, In fact, the National American Academy of Pediatrics has reached out to collaborate and work with the American Teachers um, Organization nationally um, as well, because we shouldn't be working in silos and not be communicating with each other. Because when you really think about it, it's the community that needs to come together so that we can keep everybody safe. It's a bi-directional process, right? So um, I think that's very important that we listen to each other, that we support each other, that the teachers, the schools, they all need those resources. And I think that there has been as well some uh, clarification from the leadership at the American Academy of Pediatrics since your uh, original guidance came out two weeks ago, suggesting that the benefits of school reopening outweigh the the costs. Uh, the clarification essentially being that the local context really matters and it matters how much community spread there is in any given community to uh, determine whether or not it's safe or not. Uh, it's not just a, it wasn't just a blanket. Everybody should reopen tomorrow recommendation. So curious for your thoughts on what 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 is the bottom line in terms of uh, community spread? You know, what what should, you know, uh, school administrators, what should faculty, what should they be looking for in their community to make that call? You know, right now, it's no longer safe for us to keep schools open. Right. So, again, I think that is going to be that bringing what is going on in the community because the school is not in a vacuum, right? It's its own little community, but certainly within that um, uh, outreach to what is going on around you. I think um, the um, physicians that are in the community, partnering with the public health departments, they know what's going on in the community. They are very active in terms of helping schools to be safely open. Um, uh, And they're gathering the data in terms of what's going on, right? So um, we would rely on them to guide um, both the schools, the medical profession and community that, you know, this is what's going on. And so then uh, we have to adjust what we're doing in the schools. And there may be a point, and I, I don't have um, specific guidance uh, in terms of what level and, and how much that people are sick Um and how much COVID-19 is in the community when they're going to say, then we have to be shut down. That will be another conversation. But certainly I'm looking at Florida and Texas and the resurgence of disease. And I'm sure that they are the public health department, the medical community are looking at that as well and saying, is this going to be safe to be able to bring children and teachers and everybody together? Um, and I think that's very important that you are 
uh, receptive and open to doing that reevaluation re along the way to make sure um, that you can um, continue your program safely. All right. Well, certainly a big task ahead. And uh, as with many things in this pandemic, it is sort of an all hands on deck moment. So uh, we will see how this all unfolds. We have been speaking today to Dr. Yasko Fukuda. She once again is the chair of the American Academy of Pediatrics in California. Dr. Fukuda, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And thank you all for listening for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Be well. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.